You're listening to Church on the Park Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. So, Father, right now, we come to you in your precious name, and we ask that this would be more than words, that your presence would be evident here, your presence would be tangible, and that your presence would bring healing and rest to every soul and every heart. Father, give me the grace to share exactly how you want me to share by the power of your spirit and have your way here Rule over this place in Jesus' name. Amen. God's presence heals. This is number four, your healer. God's presence heals. Exodus 33, 14. And he, Yahweh, said, my presence will lead and I will give you satisfying rest. This is the verse that I've been, one of the verses that I have been translating this week, and it's Exodus 33, 14, and he said, my presence will lead, and I will give you satisfying rest. The theme this morning is, and that's a a replica of the Ark of the Covenant, We showed that at Bible school this week. The theme is it's in God's presence that the process of healing happens. It's in God's presence that the process of healing happens. So I first began to experience God's presence with God's people at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Bayshore, New York. And as, I, as people invited me to that church, I began to experience God's presence. And Jesus began touching me and convicting me of my sin. He showed me how much I needed him. And I remember trembling in his awesome, magnificent presence as the people of God were gathered around and praying and I was beginning to experience the presence of God that I had never experienced all my life, though I knew about God and I knew about Jesus and I could give you some theological answers about who God was, I never experienced his presence and this presence began to surround me and God's presence began to come inside of me. And this got me hungry. But I didn't know uh, God's presence in my personal prayer times yet. Uh, I only knew God's presence in the gathering of God's people. I didn't know him in my personal prayer times until I started to seriously seek God's face. As I began to seriously seek God's face, Uh, the Lord began to reveal himself and I began to experience the presence of God in a very powerful way in my bedroom in New York as I would shut the door to seek God as Jesus told us, when you pray, close the door, shut the door and pray to your Father in secret. And I began to do that and the Lord began to reveal himself to me. And I read books by A.W. Tozer and Leden Ravenhill that stirred my heart and made me realize there's more of God to be experienced. It wasn't just about head knowledge. My heart began to get hungry. And it wasn't just about trying to prove my professors wrong because I went to a secular uh, university uh, and here it is, I was a new Christian 
And I had to learn uh, different apologetics in order to engage in class. That's defending your faith. But it was more than just kind of learning different defenses for the faith or arguments that you would bring. But it was this deep hunger that was in my heart to know the Lord more. Uh, here's one of the, oh, before I get to one of the quotes, uh, here's my, my mom. I'm going to mention my mom soon. Uh, I told you not to call me at work, Denise. <laughs> here's a, a, one of these blind-eye dogs. My mom loved to help out the blind and the blind-eye dogs. Someone calling a dog at work. <laughs> I wanted to share, I'll get back to the other stuff. I wanted to share this quote that, that spoke to me in my early Christian life. To have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. Scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religionist, but justified in happy experience by the children of the burning heart. And so it was reading A.W. Tozer, reading Leonard Ravenhill, these men that stirred me to pray and seek God, the Holy Spirit began to lead me to give my mornings to the, to the Lord. And I would arise at four in the morning to spend time seeking God. And soon I really wanted to even seek God more, so I would arise at three in the morning. And these times of seeking God's face were times when the glory of God would fill my room and I could feel God's tangible presence and I knew he was changing me. The more I was in the presence of God, the more I experienced in the presence of God, the more I was being changed. The change doesn't happen just uh, in a snap of a finger. It happens as you spend time in God's presence. The more you spend time in God's presence, the more is that change. And I wanted nothing else than to know God and his ways. And during one of these times, I even remember my mom knocking on my bedroom door. She wasn't saved yet. And she was crying as God was touching her heart. This was about five in the morning. Here's my mom knocking on the door saying something like, I can't be changed like you, Glenn. I can't be born again. But before that, my parents were quite resistant to what Jesus had done in my life, especially when I was preaching to them, you must be born again. I said, it's what Jesus said. And they said, we never read that before. And sometimes in a, a religious church, they will shield you from some of the scriptures. And so at first it was quite, it was met with resistance. But then after several years, my parents saw a change in my life. And this is What's so critical in being a witness, uh, being a witness for Jesus, is people need to see a change in our lives, a real change that they could say, you are different. And my mom saw that, and the glory of God was filling the room. I remember it. I felt like it was like a, like a cloud in the room. That's what it felt like. And it was like pouring out of the door. And then my mom comes knocking. And she says, I can't be saved like you. I can't be born again. It's not for me. Uh, but I knew God was touching her heart, and she started to cry. And I said, yes, Mom, you can be born again. Well, in the years to come, my mom got radically saved by Jesus. And she began to, wherever she went, she told people about Jesus. Wherever you, she was in the diner, she was talking about Jesus. You know, when she was sick in the bed, nobody who came to visit her uh, escaped from hearing the good news. <laughs> she preached to everyone, and she told them about that it's not your good. One of the things she would often say is, it's not your good works that are going to save you. It's only what Jesus did on the cross, his work that will save you. And so she was very zealous. But... It, what I'm uh, trying to bring out is it came from the presence of God moving in my life. And it wasn't just my life. It was happening at that time all across America because it was the early 90s. And the Lord was doing something mighty during that time.
uh, I learned of, that God was greater than a theological ar argument, and I learned that God was real and tangible. And today I want to share with you about God's presence. And you don't have to die until you experience the presence of God. You don't have to die, you know, oh, the presence of God. We're not talking about you having to die and to experience God's presence. We're talking about how you can experience the presence of God today, now, in this age. And, of course, we look forward to the time where we are face-to-face -face with the Lord um, when he returns. So you don't have to die until you experience it, but... You'll have to die to your self-nature. There is a death to your self-nature. So let's get into this. I showed you the, the friend here is calling the seeing-eye seeing dog while he's working. My first point, and I have, I have a few points, but we're going to go quicker than normal with these points. This one will be on for a little bit. God's presence gives deep, satisfying rest. God's presence gives deep, satisfying rest. Moses and Joshua were hungry for God's presence. It's been one of the themes of this semester at Bible school. I have the verse up here, and I'll read it to you. Uh, or the passage, uh, Exodus 33, 7 through 11, just before the one we read where the Lord says, my presence will lead and I will give you satisfying rest. So now let's go to verse 7 of Exodus 33, and it says this. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Just as a man speaks to his friend, when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So this is describing Moses even before he built the tabernacle. He had this tent of meeting. It was a place where people would meet with God. But in order to meet with God, you had to be serious because you had to go outside the camp. So you had to get away from people. You had to get alone. You had to take a pilgrimage. You had to go somewhere. There was some effort involved in seeking the Lord. And as Moses would go outside the camp, God would meet with him and speak to him as a friend would speak to someone face to face. And Joshua, his servant, would stay in the tent where the glory of God was residing, the presence of God was thick. Well, Joshua would stay there soaking in the presence of God. Um, and for those who are serious about seeking God's face, you do need to go outside the camp, so to speak. So I began to experience God in my home church, but then what I found out is that there was not many people my age. I was 18 years old, and this, is, this period that I'm talking about in my life was between 18 and, say, 22. And there was not many people my age that wanted to seek the Lord. Pretty much no one. I, I met a couple people, a couple people, that became friends that wanted to seek the Lord. So in order to seek the Lord, I, had, I didn't have many friends. I, I was alone. But I spent that time longing for him, pursuing him. And when I did it, God met with me. 
So it was like a face-to-face relationship, which all of us can have through Jesus Christ. And this began, you know, this began my journey with the Lord, was experiencing God's presence. And after this, I'll get to that in a second. After this, we read that Yahweh said, my presence will lead you and I will give you satisfying rest. In the presence of God, I found that satisfying rest. It's not just a physical rest. It's a rest for your soul and your heart. And this is what our church is. Our church is a people of God's presence. We are a people of God's presence. We're not just about, we're not about, we're not about going through the motions. We're not about trying to look good to the world. We are about hosting God's presence and being a people of God's presence and honoring him above all. And we have the same hunger and thirst in our hearts for Yahweh God as Moses and Joshua had. I think that if you're here, there is that longing. And hopefully, that long, maybe you've had that longing in the past and you lost it. Well, today is the day to get it back. We are those who have that same hunger and thirst in our hearts for Yahweh God as Moses and Joshua. And where does that hunger come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit puts that hunger and thirst in your heart. He is the one who does it. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit longs for us to find our rest in God alone. So our sin is often us trying to find rest outside of God, trying to find some comfort, some joy, some satisfaction, some uh, elation outside of God. When we need to turn from that and find our rest, our joy, our satisfaction in God and His presence, He will lead us and His presence will give us satisfying rest. And this brings us to that quote from before, to have found God and still to pursue Him is the soul's paradox of love. So what often I found, especially when I was saved, and I found this when I came to Australia too, is you already know Jesus, so you don't have to know him more. You already have Jesus in your heart, so you don't have to seek him more. That was one of the first things a pastor sat down with me when I came here, and I was seeking some mentoring as a young pastor. The older pastor said, you don't need to seek God anymore because you found him. And so this is, uh, this is something ingrained in Australian thinking and pastors because it's the first thing that I encountered. And that's, that's why you're different. You are different, and that's a good difference. Yeah, amen, amen. And that's uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. So A.W. Tozer, one of the great men of God of last century, he has gone to be with the Lord, talks about this soul paradox. And that is, or this paradox of love that is easily scorned by a religionist is that you have found God, but you still pursue him. You're still seeking him. Why is that that the case theologically? Now, as as I was confronted with this type of thinking, I had to discover from the Lord, well, why is it that I keep seeking you? And the Lord made it clear to me, I'm infinite. (laughs) I'm infinite. Are you with me? There's always more of God to find. There's always more of God to discover. There's always more of God to be experienced. And this is why Joshua stayed in that tent. Uh, Quotes like this where he says, but justified in the happy experience by the children of the burning heart. The children of the burning heart. Quotes like this helped inspire our name, Holy Fire Fellowship, which is the overarching name of the ministry, which incorporates all the ministries that are uh, part of our fellowship. The children of the burning heart. 
And then Augustine, he lived from 354 A.D. to 430 A.D. Notice this is an old uh, picture of Augustine, uh, artist interpretation. He's got his pen there. He's got his books. But notice how he has in his hand a burning heart. And this is what happens when you're really hungry for God. There's a burning heart. And that burning heart comes from the Holy Spirit. Our hearts, Augustine said this, our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. Now that deserves another uh, read. Our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. And I could say, I have found rest in God, but I need to find rest in God continually. Yes. This morning, I was, woke up uh, early, and I felt my soul was anxious. And so what do I do? I'm spending time in God's presence pursuing him, seeking rest in him. So it's not, what I'm trying to bring out here is it's not that you've got touched by God, it's over with, and you'll never have to worry again. We need him continually. This is why Jesus calls us to abide in him, to dwell in him and intimately, and he will dwell with us. Healing comes from rest, and there's no greater rest than the rest God's presence gives. Healing comes from rest, and there's no greater rest than the rest God's presence gives. Now, naturally, you go to your GP, and you're sick, and what are they going to tell you? They're probably going to tell you, get some rest. Now, spiritually, we need to see rest is one of the greatest weapons the Lord has given us. And we find that rest in God's presence. Think about it. God's presence, GP. (laughs) So in Australia, we call our our doctor, a GP, a general practitioner. And there's no greater GP than God's presence. So that's the GP we need to come to. But I also need to warn here, and I've said this over and over in these messages of healing, it doesn't mean we don't use doctors or GPs. We should have a respect for them but never idolize them or put them before God because God himself is our ultimate healer. So we are not against uh, medicine and we're not against doctors, but again, use discernment because not all doctors are the same. And unfortunately, my experience as a young uh, kid and sick with Crohn's disease, but the doctors did not know, I felt like I went through a lot of abuse through doctors Uh, some horrific things that I won't mention here that I had to go through, which affected me deeply. Uh, They could not find out what was wrong, but some did some things to me which were really, uh, uh, yeah. Um, You know, if we had a lawyer back then, maybe we could have sued them. So this, I had to be healed of these things too. Um, And... Uh, yeah, I don't want to go any further with that. I'll just stop there. <laughs> we'll just stop there. But praise the Lord, God is good. God's presence gives deep, satisfying rest. And the word rest used in Exodus comes from nuach and anach and sounds like a sigh of relief. You can, one of the lexicons, Gesenius, he talks about this sound of this word, anach and nuach, being a a sigh, uh, and it's either, it could be a sigh of grief or a sigh of relief. It has to do with the breath. So the idea is you're coming into God's presence, and it's like, ah, ah, I'm home. I'm at that place of rest. There is relief. And this is where, we're talking about Exodus 33, 14, my presence will lead and I will give you satisfying rest. This word for rest is the name, is where the name 
uh, Noah comes from, Noach, Noach, so it's very similar, Noach. And Noach finds its origins, you'll find it in Genesis 5.29, that Noach means uh, comfort or rest. It's a comforting rest, comfort or rest. So when God's presence uh, is with us and leading us and walking among us and God's presence is hosted, he gives that satisfying, comforting rest where we can say, ah, I'm at home. I'm at a place of restoration. And Noah, 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 that his name comes from this same word that's used in Exodus 33, 14. 14. Again, the rest God brings is not just outwardly stopping or falling asleep. Instead, it's a deep internal rest, which comes from God leading us, making a way for us, and settling us. The idea is he's settling also. The idea of satisfying us, of settling us. And we need a deep settlement on the inside. And rest brings healing. Rest brings healing. And God gives that rest. So the second point is this. God's presence gives unspeakable joy. Joy also gives great healing. And we'll see this in Psalm 21.6 and also Psalm 16.11. In your presence is fullness of joy. That's Psalm 1611. In your presence is fullness of joy. And then David reflects on God's presence when he says, for you make him most blessed forever. He's talking about himself, but in the third person. For you make him, se- for you make him most blessed forever. You make him joyful with gladness in your presence. We'll say that again so it really soaks in. You make him joyful with gladness in your presence. David's experience of God's presence inspired his lifelong pursuit. And it moved him to place the Ark of the Covenant in the center of Jerusalem. So he longed for God's presence, which was uh, found in the Ark of the Covenant. The manifest glory of God rested there. He wanted that to be in the center of the capital of Jerusalem. It wasn't there. And so he longed for the Ark to be there. The first time he tries to bring the Ark in, he does it the wrong way. The second time he learns the lesson and he brings the Ark into Jerusalem. Uh, Here we see that David wanted And this was in connection with God's heart, in alignment with God's heart. God's presence must be the centerpiece. So God's presence, David wanted God's presence to be the centerpiece. And God wants his presence to be the centerpiece of our lives and the centerpiece of our city. And this is why we're here in the center of the city. This was not my own idea. All I could say is I submitted to God and God said, I want you here in the center of Brisbane City, worshiping, praising me. And it's a little bit like we're in the center, but then there's a sense that we're outside of the camp because you have to go up seven floors. So it's like an upper room, right? The upper room where the Holy Spirit fell. It's an upper room. But remember, when, I, when Patrick and I were praying, we were looking for a place because he was with, he, you know, he started his journey with us across the street at the 316 Center. We were praying, and I was like, Lord, if it's just a basement someplace, I thought that was cool, a revolutionary, revolutionary spiritual movement in a basement someplace in the city. It's just a basement. I'll take the basement. But the Lord brought us to the seventh floor. How significant is seven? And here we have a view of the city, but the view of the city is for a purpose uh, for me, and I hope for all of us, is to pray for the city. So I'll pray for the church. I'll pray for the government. I'll pray for the businesses. I'll pray for the finances. I'll pray for the entertainment. I'll pray into the valley. 
I go out there and I pray on the balcony there. And as we're here, it's a reminder to pray. We're in a strategic place. And uh, God has kept us because his presence is meant to be the centerpiece. The, oh, how to prepare for a Zoom meeting. <laughs> Anybody have cats? You've got cats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you'll know he has the cat, cat taped on the wall. How to prepare for a Zoom meeting? And they like to, you know, you're writing, and they like to walk over your keyboard. What is it with cats? They don't like it when they're not the center of attention. <laughs> now that. How did I tie the two? Well, the Lord needs to be our center of attention. I wasn't thinking of that when I put this up, though. (laughs) Or how about this one? I'm spiritual. Demons are spirits, too. Be more specific. (laughs) So, girls, watch out when a suave man comes and says, I'm spiritual. (laughs) Demons are spirits, too. Be more specific. You know, the demons believe but they tremble but they don't obey and that's the thing that makes the difference true faith obeys true faith puts it in practice true faith seeks god thinks this brings us to the third point god's presence protects god's presence protects psalm 31 verse 20 psalm 31 verse 20 and i made an infographic a while ago, but I've never, never released it, uh, uh, translating this. This is what it looks like, uh, Psalm 31, 19 through 21. And I'll zoom up so I can read it to you. How abundant is your goodness. You've saved it for those who reverence you. You've displayed it to those who take refuge in you, demonstrating your goodness before all humanity. You conceal the God reverencers in the secret place of your presence, shielding them from the mob of conspiracies and slander, sheltering them from quarreling tongues. Bless Yahweh. Wonderfully he has shown his kind and loyal love to me in a distressed city. So I want to read those last two verses again. You conceal the God reverences. That's the God fears. You conceal the God reverences in the secret place of your presence, shielding them from the mob of conspiracies and slander, sheltering them from quarreling tongues. Bless Yahweh. Wonderfully he has shown his kind and loyal love to me in a distressed city hallelujah well we last year this was a very distressed city with all the mandates and the vaccines and and unfortunately god's people got caught up in all the conspiracies i'm not saying that there is not conspiracies going out there though the popular ones and the things that are out there are probably not right but I'm not saying there's not bad things going, out, going on out there. I'm not saying that there's not evil. But if you get caught up in the conspiracies, you get entangled in that web. And the enemy has you right where he wants you. And he's going to come like a spider and eat up his prey. Because you're entangled in his web. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and focus on being in the presence of God. And the presence of God protects us and shields us. And he hides us from all the the conspiracies and the slander of men. So that's my translation. I'll read it in the NASB, just the one verse, verse 20. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. So God's presence protects and shields. 
God's presence protects us from the enemy's assault and the vile poison of people's tongues. So in your life, you're going to have people that gossip about you. And you're going to have people that say all sorts of evil against you. You're going to have them attack you. How are you going to find healing? How are you going to find protection from all of that? Go into the presence of God. Are you with me here? Go into the presence of God. It's in the presence of God that he shields you and he keeps you. Go into God's presence. It protects you from the vile poison on people's tongues and no evil can penetrate God's presence. So God's presence protects. This brings us to the fourth point. God's presence heals, restores, and makes whole. And this is the central point of today. God's presence heals, restores, and makes whole. Jesus was the living embodiment of God's manifested presence on earth. He was the walking, talking, and living ark of the covenant. And there, was, there always had to be blood on the ark, and that's why Jesus shed his blood to take away our sins. We're going to look at Matthew, a couple of portions of Matthew chapter 9. Uh, chapter 9, verses 9 and 13, verse 35, and then 10, 1 to show you how God as the living, or Jesus as the living embodiment of God's manifested presence on earth, healed, how Jesus healed. Here is the first thing that I want to bring out from Matthew chapter 9, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, now notice this, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Now, we'll just stop there. The sickness he's talking about is the sickness of sin. Because he's talking about how he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's dining with them. And he is the physician, the healer that has come to them to make them whole, to heal them. It is not those who are healthy that need a physician, but those who are sick. Now, this was very radical because the Pharisees would keep themselves from sinners. They would keep themselves from those who were unclean. They would keep themselves from the Gentiles, as well as Jewish people who were dodgy, right, who had some type of uh, sin issues. They would keep, I'm not going close to them, but Jesus is eating with them. It's not, he's not falling into the same sin with them. He is with them to heal them to restore them, to make them whole, to bring them to him. Now, it happened here that uh, it happened at Matthew's house. Uh, Matthew must alone know, knew a lot of people that were sinners. And as Matthew started following, he, as Matthew started to follow Jesus, he started to draw all his friends too. And this should happen with our lives. When we start following Jesus, encountering Jesus, we want to bring everybody we can in. And I've seen this with many of you. God's touched your life. You're drawing in your family. So don't forget to keep doing that, drawing in those who are lost. Uh, it's sad when us Christians get it's us for no more, and we only start talking to ones that are... Uh, who we deem as safe. You know, don't, you know, the big meme today is get away from unsafe people, right? Get away from unsafe people and things like that. But guess what? All these people were unsafe. <laughs> but the, are you listening to me here? These tax collectors and sinners were toxic people. We all get the toxic people out of your life. Guess what? Everybody is going. <laughs> <laughs> We 
Right, well, but, but of course, the Lord has changed us, okay? The Lord has changed us, so he's made us not toxic anymore. That's good. But there's people, they need salvation, and if you withdraw from them, there is no healing and salvation that's going to come to them. Well, Jesus draws to them. He comes to them. The presence of God comes to these tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees were upset. Why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So here we see what the presence of God is uh, doing. It's there to heal, and this is why he's coming to them. Then we go to Matthew 9.35. Look at Jesus' ministry, who was the embodiment of God's presence on earth. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's the good news of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So nothing too difficult for Jesus. Nothing too difficult for God. He healed every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. This is what the presence of God does. The presence of God heals every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Also, the presence of God teaches. The first thing here is teaching. It teaches. God teaches. Jesus teaches in the synagogue, and he proclaims the gospel of the kingdom. So Jesus came for the sick and sinners. We see that. He didn't come to leave them sick, but to heal them, making them whole. And that's the wholeness of the heart and the body. And we see that Jesus visited every city and village well, first, we see in here that Jesus taught the people. Why? Because the word of God was paramount to Jesus. And as we see, that the word heals. We, we learned about the word. As it goes out, it heals. Then second, he preached the good news of the kingdom. Again, the word of God is foundational. So this teaching and preaching, uh, which seem the same, but there's a nuanced difference of one instructing and the other uh, proclaiming something. He heals. If I say he heals, that's a proclamation. If then I show you how he heals, that's me teaching. And the two things go together. And the third thing is he healed every kind of disease and sickness. This reveals that Jesus heals. And today, he's not physically present. But his Holy Spirit is with us. That is his presence. He is with us by his Holy Spirit. And the same thing he did back then, he does today to those who honor him. If you don't honor his presence, if you don't realize that he's here, that his presence is here, these things don't happen. But when you honor him, when you see him, when you honor especially his body, how is he with us now? Guess what? We are his Body, think about that. <laughs> so there is a sense where he is physically present with us through each one of us. Because Peter has the Holy Spirit in him, in him. Christina has the Holy Spirit in her. Gideon, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Missy has the Holy Spirit in him. Donna, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Fran, and I can go around the room and... That is how the Lord is with us, and we have to make sure we let the Holy Spirit move through us so that people experience Jesus and all these things that we're talking about. Well, here is Jesus. He goes throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every sickness, every kind of sickness. And then what do we see in Matthew 10:1? I don't have it up here. I thought I did. But Matthew 10, 1 then goes on to say, hey, this is what wasn't just for Jesus. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority 
over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So it wasn't just for Jesus. He is passing on this commission to us, his disciples, giving us authority over unclean spirits, demonic spirits, to cast them out and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. A big part of healing was that Jesus cast out demons because demons can cause sickness. But we shouldn't think that if somebody's sick, they have demons, but it, demons can cause sickness. Okay, this brings us to point five. We're going through these quick. Amen. Hallelujah. God's presence first comes to you by grace, seeking you. But then, by grace, you must draw near to his presence. Now, let me explain what I mean here. Jesus will touch you, and often people will think, well, that's it. Like Jesus went to the tax collectors tax collectors and sinners, and he spent time with them. His presence came to them. And Jesus touched many people. And if you were not careful, you would think, well, Jesus touched me, that's it, it's, it's over. But Jesus' visitation and touch have a purpose, to move us to seek and follow him. To move us to seek and follow him. Where's Valerie, where's Val Valerie? Come, come here, come up here. You're part of my illustration here. In school, have you ever played tag? Tiggy? Well, Tiggy? Okay. What happens when somebody when somebody runs and tags you and touches you and says you're it? What happens then? You never played tag in school. All right. <laughs> well, most of us would know the game. When someone tags you, you're it, and then you have to chase after the others. Right? And then you're tagging someone else. Now, when Jesus touches you, it's like... Him tagging you. Yes. Now you're it. Now you have to chase after him. You cannot expect the presence of God to keep coming to you in the same way without any effort. You, by grace, need to seek after him. And this is what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 9. He's saying, follow me. In other words, I've come to you. I've come all the way from heaven to earth to you, to touch you, to reveal my presence to you, to heal you. Now, follow me. Don't just stay where you are. You are it now. You've been tagged. And so being tagged means you need to press into God's presence by faith. By grace, you need to allow the grace of God to move you to put some effort in to make every effort, to let me put it more biblically, to make every effort to come into his presence daily. You've made an effort to be here. That's the first thing. But then in your heart, you need to make an effort to press into his presence. To don't just wait on the outside, as I've talked about before, and watch someone else worship. But you need to press into that face-to-face -face meeting with God. And this is what it means when Jesus is saying, follow me. It means walking. And sometimes it means running after him. It means this pursuit of him. So God's presence first comes to you by grace, seeking you, just like he came to the sinners, seeking them, touching them, healing them. But then by grace, you must draw near to his presence. And when he touches you and tags you, he said to Missy, you're it. Now you start following me. And then now you're it. I want you to go out and start healing the sick just like I did. 
I want you to pray for them and cast out demons and move in the authority that I have given you. So go to your neighbor, put your hand on their shoulder and say, tag, you're it. <laughs> So again, his presence first comes to you, but then you need to go into his presence. As James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So first, God does draw near to you to heal you, to save you, to touch you. And this is what happened in my life, as I talked about my story in the beginning, is God reached out to me, a lost sinner, someone that knew about God but didn't know God. He reached out to me. He revealed his presence to me. But then he made me hungry to seek him. And then as I began to seek him, he began to reveal himself more to me. Now again, Jesus' grace first comes to you. That's the beginning. It's your invitation into a life of grace. Now, by grace, he calls you to follow him. That means to stay in his presence. Uh, Jesus is not going to keep running after you. His call is follow me, not I'm running after you all, all the time, okay? Now, of course, his grace runs after us, but we've got to understand his ways a bit more. He says, follow me. So he runs after us, he touches us, and then he says, Follow me. That means you have a responsibility to stay with him, to keep in step with him. And this is one of the misconceptions with revival. Revival comes, and it's God coming down and touching his people. And then when the presence of God seems to lift off of a community, they think, well, God's left us, the revival's over, uh, let's seek more of, of that, and really what the Lord wants is us to press into him, to seek him. He has touched us, and now he wants us to go out touching others. He wants us to go to continue to seek his face, to draw near to him. We can't just expect him to draw near to us without us drawing near to him. So in revival, God touches you, but now you must touch him like the woman with the issue of blood. Oh, good thing I have it up here. We're almost near the end here. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. Now, if she was touching the fringe of his cloak, she must have been very low because the cloak came down to the feet. So she was low, uh, either on her knees or crawling. That would be what it would seem. So she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she was saying to herself, notice how she's speaking to herself, and how we speak to ourselves is important, and we should speak to ourselves in this way. For she was saying to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once, the woman was made well. In, an, in, an another, in another account, it says that power went out from Jesus. She touched him and power went out. Notice how in the same chapter, Matthew chapter 9, you have Jesus graciously being with the tax collectors and sinners. But here, he didn't, he didn't come to the woman. The woman came to him. Do you see this? This is the response of grace. And he's in the area, but she's pressing in to touch Jesus. And when she touches Jesus, the Lord says, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And this was the woman with the issue of blood. Well, I'm not a woman, but I've often felt like this woman. 
I've often felt like this woman with my battles with Crohn's disease because often it involves bleeding and it leaves me quite weak. And so often I have had to crawl into Jesus' presence to receive power. But here is what I can testify, that when you come into Jesus' presence, he empowers you. He makes you whole. And I would have liked it that one touch, that's it, I'm fine forever. But I have found that the Lord says, no, keep coming to me. Keep coming to me. And as I keep coming to him, the Lord continually renews and empowers me. And I believe it's a message for the body of Christ. We need to keep coming to him, pressing into his presence, touching him. I've come in my weakness, and God made me strong. And she came in her weakness, and Jesus made her strong. And so here is the good news the cross has made a way for you to enter into God's holy presence. Now we're near the end, so I don't have a chance to develop this more, but the cross has made a way for you to enter into God's holy presence. That's what the cross is about. Because as a sinner, you don't have the right to come into God's presence. You would drop dead. But the cross has made a way for you to come and enter into God's holy presence, experience grace so that you can be transformed by grace. I'll read this again. I've been reading this often lately. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which is inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Amen. And then, lastly, and I'll just be talking about two of these things quickly. Here are some secrets to entering God's presence daily. I shared it already with the Bible school, but I'm showing you. Seven secrets to daily time with God. I'm just going to talk about one and two here quickly. So schedule, first thing is go to a quiet place. Schedule a daily appointment with Jesus and keep it. Put it in your phone. Use your scheduling app or your calendar app and put in appointment with Jesus. Set a few appointments so if you miss one, you can do the other, right? And uh, Daniel had an appointment with God morning afternoon and evening find a few go-to quiet places so in your home it may be distracting but maybe you can walk down to the park near you or for me I, I close the door go find a few quiet places where you can be alone with God places that have minimal distraction and places where you can enjoy God's presence and this is where you start to pursue him and say God here I am you may not have anything to say but Lord here I am Speak to me. Start to open up his word. And then the second thing, and this is where I'm going to stop, and this is a reminder of what I shared at Bible school, grab a journal and pen. Grab a journal and pen. So first secret is go to a quiet place. Second one is grab a journal and pen. Buy yourself a journal and pen that you'll enjoy using. And I just start off, sometimes I'm not inspired at all. So I just start off by writing the day. And Lord, here I am. I'm weak. I don't have much to give. Uh, I'm a bit anxious, but I write the date in. <laughs> and I find that as you purposely do that and you're waiting, that the Lord shows up because you're drawing near to him and he's going to draw near to you. So grabbing a journal and pen helps get the process of giving your attention to God so that the thoughts aren't just ethereal, out there, like a cloud, but then the thoughts become concrete on paper, you write it down. And so those are my first two tips that all I'm showing you is the first two today. Go to a quiet place and grab a journal and pen. The rest is here too. I'll probably send this out this week. 
But that is it for, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for the message. Hallelujah, that God's presence heals. Amen. So let me sum this, let me sum this up here for you. We'll all, if you can all stand. If you can all stand. So the conclusion is God's presence heals. He makes well. Therefore, make every effort to come into his presence daily and spend time in his presence. It's as you are in the presence of the Lord that the process of healing happens. Healing is not a quick solution, but a lifetime of seeking him. That's one of the points I want to bring out. And Lord, we first start praying, uh, we're first going to start praying for everybody at home, Lamy and Grace and Kiara and Joy and Daniel and Diane, that your presence would meet with them in their home. And that you would, in all of our hearts here, you would increase our hunger and thirst for you. You would remind us of our first love. As I talked about you in my, my early years, how I began to pursue you, how you touched my heart, but I was longing for more, to know you more. I'm asking that you touch everyone here. And by grace, you would touch them. By, by grace, you would reveal yourself to them. And that would create such a hunger in them to seek you because it's in your presence that we are healed. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, to this place. Come, Holy Spirit, to everyone that is at home. Heal and restore in Jesus' name. Where we're drifting from the mission, bring us back, Lord. Bring us back in Jesus' name. I'm going to invite up Anna.